0: Turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Now I'm going to be doing an overview of different chapters leading up to 13, and you can just kind of follow along. I will read some scripture going through this overview, but mainly I'm just going to be talking about what's going on until we get to 13, and then we'll slow down a little bit. So... I've been telling you for weeks that I've been trying to get to chapter 13 of Matthew. And the more I study it, the more I've been held up in the other chapters. And I've been seeing all kinds of really good sermons. they just popping out at me everywhere I look. And, you know, the more I study, the more I realize there's no way I could ever run out of sermons. There's just no way. I, I see. I see... One little thing, one verse that takes me over to a whole other book of the Bible, and I, I'm like, that's another sermon. And there's another one over here. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I have no worries whatsoever that I'm going to run out of sermons. So the Sermon on the Mount started in, in chapter 5, and now in chapter 6, what do we? It's still, the, it's still the Sermon on the Mount in 6 and 7. So what's in 6? What's in chapter 6? I just want to touch on it. And basically what it's talking about is, uh, when you give alms, what does that mean? That means giving to the poor. When you give alms, do it in secret. Do not let your, your, your right hand know what your left hand's doing or your left hand know what your right hand's is doing. You, you're supposed to do it that way to where you're even tricking yourself. That nobody will see you doing those things, because if you did it to be seen of men... That's the wrong heart. Talking about praying in secret. The Pharisees were famous for praying in the synagogues and out on the streets where everybody could see them. But they didn't pray in private. Even talks about fasting in secret. When you pray and when you fast, they would go, oh, I'm so weak. I've been fasting for days. and you know, So you would look at them and go, oh, wow, he's so spiritual. He's so awesome. I mean, he's fasting. But it said, you know, don't, don't let on that you've been fasting. So only God knows that you're doing that. We have the Lord's Prayer in, in 6. We used to quote it all the time. Thy kingdom come. This is a book about the kingdom. We're looking for a day when Jesus will actually set up his kingdom on the earth. Very important to remember. That's what this is all about. This whole topic on rightly dividing the word of truth is, is that's what I'm trying to get to. To help you understand that you must see that the Jewish people were looking for a kingdom that was going to be set up on the earth, and it didn't come when Jesus showed up, therefore they rejected him. He can't be because he didn't set up his earthly kingdom. So the Lord's prayers there. Uh, laying up treasure in heaven is in 6. And don't worry, but trust your heavenly Father for the things you need while you're on this earth. Chapter 7. It's, it's every sinner's favorite verse. Judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But yet we're instructed to judge. We're instructed to, especially if someone calls himself a brother, a brethren, someone who says, I'm a saved child of God, and you know they're out doing things that are bad, that are, are, are you know, being they're being a bad representative of their Lord and Savior, they're being a bad example for their church, you know, family, where to go and, and to confront them with it hey, you're doing this wrong. And then if they won't accept it, you take another brother with you, you go and you, you talk to them. And if they still don't change, then you get the elders of the church, you get a bunch of them, you go together, and finally you say, look, you cannot come in here if you're going to live that sinful life. So we are instructed to judge, but remember, when you show judgment, when you judge, you're showing the world and God you know better. So it says get the beam out of your eye before you go try to get this little speck out of your neighbor's eye. That's what we're instructed to do in 7. We're instructed to pray, saying that as evil as mankind is, when your son asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. If your kid was to ask you for fish, you don't give him a serpent. And if you are able to give good gifts to your kids, why are you not praying to God the Father, who can give you way better than what you can do for your own? So pray. That's part of 7. talks about entering the straight or the narrow gate. Because wide is the way to destruction. The easy way is the way everybody's going to go. And they're going the wrong way. But you need to be a person who's looking for the narrow gate. Is there one way to heaven or is there many ways? I got a little booklet. It's in my bag over there if you want it. You want to read it. One way or many ways? You want to be tolerant? You can say, well, there's many ways to God. There's many ways to get to heaven. But that's wide. That's a wide gate that leads to destruction. We say because our Bibles tell us, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I believe it is, that He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through Him, Jesus. So, that's the door. There's that one narrow door to get to God, and it's Jesus. Point people to that narrow gate. Don't be, don't be intimidated by, well, you're gonna offend the Muslim, and you're gonna offend this person, and that. all these different religions of the world, you're gonna offend them. I'd rather offend them and tell them the truth. What a horrible thing to do is out of embarrassment or pressure to not tell somebody the truth, just to keep the peace and allow them to go the wrong way. Uh, Warning of false prophets, verses 15 through 20, and you know them by their fruit. We're, We're warned. Watch out for the false prophets. There are many of them out there. Beware of being someone who just goes to church, just to go to church. Are you hearing me? Pretending to be a a Christian because you don't want Jesus to say, I never knew you. You don't want to hear that. And then the last part of seven, building on a rock or building on the sand, that parable. So we want to build out everything we do needs to be built on the rock, of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ. That's what we do here. Then when you get over to chapters 8 and 9, and I, this is where, I mean, there are some sermons in here. I mean, we're, we're going to go back, I'm sure, over the next, who knows how many weeks, but we're going to hit some of these because I'm fascinated with some of these miracles. Though so it's miracles. It's a series of miracles in chapter 8 and 9 where Jesus is proving who he is. I love the story of the, the crazy dude in the cemetery over in Gadara. Is that how you say it? Gadara. And Jesus gets off the boat and he walks up and this crazy dude. Now in Matthew, it's two of them. And they're, they're, they're demon-possessed. And in Luke and Mark, it's just the one. They talk about the one guy. He's running around a cemetery. He has no place to live and he's, he has no clothes on. He's, he's, it's, it's like showing up at South Beach, Miami. That's what you'd expect down there. Bunch of people running around with no clothes on. This guy is a maniac. They've tried to chain him and he breaks the chains. No one can go through that area because of this madman. But Jesus gets off the boat and walks up and this guy comes running down and Jesus doesn't have to say a thing. Now, Jesus did say, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. That's what he actually said. He, this, this crazy guy, coming down at him, and he has said, Come out of him, you unclean spirit. And the spirits, the demons that are in this guy, say, Why are you here? Are you here to torment us before the time? They call him Jesus, the Son of God. They knew... Jesus didn't... If you look at the Matthew account... You look, look in your Bibles. Look at how many red letters are in that account of that. And that's in uh, uh, eight twenty-eight through 34. Jesus' words are in red, right? One word. Now we know that he said more than that, but in Matthew, only one word is recorded and it's about the shortest word you can find in the English language is go. So these demons were, they had to have been talking, there, there was many of them in this guy. They, his, Jesus asked them, because you go to uh, Mark and Luke, and you can see what more Jesus actually said. He said, what is your name? And they said, Legion, because there was many of them. And these, all these demons had to have been talking to each other, going, you know he's going to cast us out. You know he's going to do it. What are we going to do? Because they came up with the plan. Jesus is just standing there, and they're saying everything, even... If, if you cast us out, could you at least uh, let us go into those swine over there? There's all these pigs all over the place, and, which was something that the Jewish nation shouldn't have been involved in. These people were herding swine, unclean animals. And the demon said, could you put, put, it, uh, put us in, the, in there? And he's like, yeah, go. And they all those evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pig. And what did the pigs do? The pigs had more sense with these demons in them that they ran violently down the steep hill into the water and drowned. They committed hogicide. And the man was now normal. He had all those spirits out of him. He got dressed. He wanted something to eat. And he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, nah, nah, I need you to go home and minister to the people at your home. And in your town, and tell them all about what God has done for you. That's the last we hear of Him. Isn't that, that's an oh, I love that story. I preach a sermon on that. That was just a little mini sermon. What about J- Jarius' daughter? That's over in 9 18 through 26. Jer- uh her dad, she's sick, she's about to die, and her dad goes to Jesus and said, I need you to come back to my house, my daughter is about to die and please come, and, and this little girl is 12 years old, 12, and Jesus turns to go, and as he's going, this woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, all she needs to do is get close enough to Jesus to touch his clothes, and she knows that she'll be healed, and that happens, so issue of blood for 12 years, this woman has been bleeding for as long as this little girl has been alive, this little girl and somebody from the household, from the little girl, comes running and says, don't bother with Jesus because uh, she's already died. So, forget it. And Jesus is like, oh no, 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 she's good. Come on, just just believe. He tells her dad, just believe. And they go in, and there is uh, hired mourners have already showed up. So, let's say somebody, your, one of your loved ones dies, and you want people to think a lot of your loved one, like, you know, want to you know make him sound better than what than it, what he was? You could go hire these professional mourners, and they would come play music, and they would weep and wail, and people from a distance would go, "Oh, they must have been, that must have been a really special person." Look at all that. Listen to all that weeping and wailing. And Jesus walks in, and these people, these hired mourners, had already come in, and they're and they're going, "Oh, you know, oh, this is so sad. This little girl's died." And and Jesus says, "Quit it. She's just sleeping." And they go from the fake crying to laughing at him. The Bible said they laughed him to scorn. And he's, he's like, yeah, they're just, she's asleep. And, they, they, and he, he sends them out, and he goes in there with his closest disciples and, and with the mom and the dad, and he goes in, and he walks over to this, this young maiden. She's dead. And he reaches out and grabs her by the hand and picks her up, and she's back to life. Now, I have to think, are the, the hired mourners going, do we still get paid? Can you imagine uh, another death happens a little bit later and the, somebody comes and says, yeah, my so-and-so died and I need to hire your services. And they'll be like, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, is Jesus going to be there? We've got to redo this contract. Now, now, if Jesus happens to show up, we still get paid. Sign right here on the dotted line. Isn't the Bible awesome? The Bible is so awesome. So that's, that's chapters 8 and 9. I mean, just numerous miracles. And then chapter 10. You have all the disciples are introduced to you. Matthew calls them apostles. Why? Because they're representative of the king. Would you like to be a representative of the king? Then you are not an, an apostle. If you go out and you say the things. Now, now this these people were pretty special. And do you know, do you know the twelve? Do you happen to know them? You know their names? If somebody was to say, you know. If, if somebody asks you, on your favorite sports team, the lineup, and you're able to rattle them all off, what if they asked you, who are the 12 disciples? Can you name them? We need to be able to name them. And it's not easy, because it's different names, but we'll just go through them real quick. You have Peter, otherwise known as Simon, but he was we know him as Peter. His name was Simon, we got changed to Peter. It's easy for me to say them, because i got them all wrote down right here. And then Andrew... And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. You know, James was the first one to die, and John was the last one to die, the brothers. James lost his head, and then John ended up writing the Gospel of John. He wrote three epistles, and then he he wrote Revelation. And I hear that he lived to be about 94 years old. All the rest of them died younger, and they all died a martyr's death, all the other disciples. All right, then there was Philip. And then Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, and then Matthew, also known as Levi. He was the publican, and then Thomas, known as Didymus, James the Lesser, the son of Alphaeus, and then Labius, Thaddeus, and then Simon the Canaanite, who was also the the zealot. He was the he was extreme, you know, uh, ready to take up arms and, and get things done. And then you had Judas Iscariot, who ended up betraying him. So they are sent out in chapter 10. They're sent out two by two, and they are to go and to not take anything with them for, uh, to prepare for this ch- journey that they're doing. And they, ha- they were able to do these unbelievable miracles that only Jesus would, should be able to do, but Jesus gave each and every one of them the ability to go out and to raise the dead, to heal People of sicknesses and diseases, they went out and did these, these, it's for a sign. So that people would say, This is for real. Beware of people today who say they have these sign miracles, these gifts, these things, uh, gift of healing. You know, you, you, someone will come to me and say, Oh, I got the gift of healing. And they want to come into the church service and they want to have a healing uh, uh, show. I'm thinking, all right, well go, go to St. Jude and heal all the babies, all the kids there suffering from cancer. Go, go heal them, and when, when that hospital is empty, then come see me. Be careful of people who are super spiritual and claim to have all these miracles, these miracle-working abilities or gifts. Be, just beware. God can heal who he wants to heal, and we pray for God to do the healing. But remember, we were warned of false prophets. Just be careful, okay? Chapter 11. Turn to chapter 11 and to turn over to 11 and verse 12. By this time, what ha, what is, what's happening by the time you get to 11? Jesus has sent out his disciples. He, he was, they were, what were they told? Not to go to the Gentiles and do, do not go to any city of the Samaritans, but to go to the lost sheep of Israel and all the disciples were working miracles, you would think that this kingdom of heaven that he's preaching about, that he's trying to get out to everybody, is going to just really be well-received, right? Well-received. So, so what does the 11 say? Eleven, twelve, 12 And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, if you happen to have an NIV handy, we, we got NIVs on the pews, and I, I leave them there for a reason. I'm not scared of them. You know, you would think the way I am, the way I preach, and the way I say I like the King James, I wouldn't allow any NIVs to be in this, in this sanctuary. We know that the message of the kingdom of heaven, we know that the message of the kingdom of heaven was not well received. It even went so far that they captured the king of that kingdom and they took him and ended up crucifying him on a cross. Now, what does the NIV say in verse 12 of 11? It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, it starts off really good, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. The total opposite of what really happened. The total opposite. Why? I preach from the King James Version. The total opposite of what actually happened. People were violent against the kingdom of heaven, and they did take it by force. Because they hated it, not because they wanted it. Chapter 12. I'm going to read 1231. Wherefore, I say unto you, All manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him, but whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Jesus has been performing these miracles, and the religious elite of the day said he's doing it through the devil. And Jesus calls them out and say, you can say what you want about me, but you're saying that the miracles I'm performing are from the devil when it's the Holy Spirit. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's scary, isn't it? That's one of the scariest places in the Bible, that there is a sin that cannot be pardoned. The Pharisees were doomed by what they were doing. All right, remember what I said about... Uh, Remember what I said about being careful about the miracles? Jesus had given them plenty of miracles. All you got to do is read chapters 8 and 9. All kinds of miracles. And they were rejecting the kingdom of heaven. And then what did they say? In uh, 39, they had said what they were wanting right before that, they would like to see a sign. In 38, we would see a sign from thee. Look, listen to what they're asking for. They've already got, had plenty of signs. And what, so now, Jesus. up until now, Jesus was very willing to show them all these miracles to prove that he was who he said he was and that we need to be uh, searching for him and finding him. And he says to answer that. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. If you need to see a sign, a miracle of whatever sort, Jesus is saying you are an evil people. And what did he say? No, and there shall be no sign be given to it, or to that generation, to the, to the nation of Israel, no more signs except, what sign? We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Maybe it was in my brain because I, of, of all of this. That must have been why. And I brought this up in Sunday school. Now here's the sign, the sign of the prophet Jonah. It says Jonas in the the King James, but it's Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the only sign you're going to get, which is Jesus dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb, and on the third day resurrected. He is alive. Do you need more of a sign than that? I pray you don't. That's the only sign we have. That's the only sign we need. God raises people from the dead. Jesus was the first fruit, and every one of us who die and go into the grave, we will be resurrected in our glorified body if we're true believers, just like he was. You don't need any other signs, because you're only going to get that one sign. The men of Nineveh, they were the Assyrians, a pagan nation. They, is, he's talking to the Jews here. The men of Nineveh, as cruel and hateful as they were, are going to rise up in judgment over you people, you Pharisees. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation. Talking about it's not a generation as we say a generation. We've got Four generations represented right back there in the back two rows. That's not that kind of generation. It's a group of people. The nation of Israel, the generation, the generation of Jesus Christ. When you open up Matthew 1, it's his people. So that generation of the nation of Israel will rise up in judgment over you and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Jesus is greater than Jonah, and you're not accepting his word. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment. This is another Gentile from way outside of the nation of Israel that came there, and she, the queen of the south, shall rise up in judgment with this generation, this people Israel, and shall condemn it, for she from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon may behold a greater than Solomon is here. Now, you see the transition that's happening right now. There is a major transition that's happening. Jesus is introducing you to the nation of Israel, that generation, and how Gentiles are going to rise up in judgment. He's, he's changing. There's a big transition that's about to happen. Remember, just a couple chapters back, 10, go into go unto the lost sheep of Israel only don't go to the gentiles don't go to the city of Samaria you go to the lost sheep of Israel well now he's condemning Israel and he's talking about Assyrians coming coming up to judge and the queen of the south gentiles gentiles now the next verse I'm getting ready to read to you it is deep it is awesome But so simple. It's just so simple, but it's got such deep meaning. Brace yourself. We are now at chapter 13, the first verse. The same day, went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Are your minds blown? You think, I mean, do we really need to know that? Go to the other Gospels. You're not going to see a statement like that. Do we really need to know that little minor detail? Why couldn't we just, you know, shorten the Bible up a bit, make it a little easier to read, and just get that verse on out of the way? Would it matter? Remember, he said, go to the house of Israel. House is Israel. He's coming out of the house. What does the sea represent? How you get to all the foreign nations, the Gentiles. See the transition? He's coming out of the house of Israel and he's going to the Gentiles by the way of the sea. It's actually really deep. It needs to be there. Pretty cool, huh? And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went unto a sh- into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, what you're, what you're going to see in 13, and you, y'all can read it on your own and get ready for next week. I might break down the sower parable in detail. But there's seven, you're going to see seven main parables here. And this is what I want you to see in each one of them. Notice that the first four are spoken to the multitude. But then the, the next three after the first four the multitude is sent away, he goes back into the house with his disciples and he shares those three with them privately. All right, the sower sows the seed into the soil. There's four different types of soil. It's good seed, it's real good seed, and the sower is the most amazing sower in the universe, but only a quarter of it falls on good ground. You know, there's the the path that's beaten down, Compacted, the seed lays on top, and it doesn't do anything because it's laying on that compacted ground. You know, we we're to we're to uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to go before us, so that when we get to the person with the word, which is the which is the seed, that we're able to minister to them and throw that seed out on that person. They've been cultivated by the Holy Ghost. The ground's soft and ready to take the seed. Well, some seed falls on that hard ground, and it stays on top in the birds of the air. And the birds in Scripture. Is always represents evil spirits and the birds come along and take it up I can share with you some of the most amazing words out of the Bible and as soon as we're done here and you just it it could be gone just like that why because the devil cannot stand me standing up here preaching the word out of the Bible did you hear me the devil cannot stand it He hates it, and He does not want me to speak them. And if I do, He wants to snatch it up as soon as He can, so that it does nothing. The seeds spread out into all the the weeds. They start to grow, but the cares of this world just just strangle it, and it never produces anything. It gets smothered. you got the real thin soil. Some of us are very impressionable. Some of us will believe anything we're, we're told, and it's it's a big rock there and the soil's only that deep and it's it gets hotter it gets the temp, soil temperature is key to germination and when the sun comes out and it heats up that soil way quicker than the rest of the soil and the seeds sprout up really fast you get somebody in here and they're emotional they and, and you you give them the word and, and like i I want to get saved I want to get saved I want to do this just tell me what to say just tell me the sinner's prayer and I'll recite it and 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 they go out and act like they're on fire for the lord and then when they're They're tested, that thin soil, where they sprout up so fast, have no root. The root has nowhere to go, and when it gets hot and dry, when the pressures of this world are on them, they just wilt away and become nothing. But then there's that good ground. And those people who receive that seed that are good ground, they will produce, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30, but they will produce. You will know them by their fruit. If you're not producing for the Lord, ask yourself a question. Do I really know him? Don't be afraid to stand up, come up here, kneel at the altar, and show everybody you mean business, and you're not afraid of the devil, you're not afraid of the persecution, and you mean business. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we come before you because you are worthy. Father, you went into that grave. You went down into the heart of the earth. This was raised. He is resurrected. Father, Jesus is our Savior. Father, I pray that we would be a people who don't need a sign other than the sign of that, of Jesus dying, going into the grave, being raised again. He is alive. Jesus, you are sitting at the right hand of the Father so that we can pray this prayer right now. You give us access to heaven. Father, we are kneeling at the throne of grace right now. And Father, thank you for making a way. And Father, if there's anybody here today that needs to know you better, that has questions about salvation, anything, Father, that they would have the boldness to come forward just to ask, we can pray over them. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.